Welcome to the Wet Podcast, episode number 44. I'm MC Lars. Who play it for real? DPFR. Who play it for real? It's my self-referential introduction song. You know the deal. Who play it for real? I'm MC Lars. Who play it for real? DPFR. Who play it for real? The name's MC Lars. Living large and in charge. Once upon a time, Grandmaster Flash inspired these nerds with the culture clash. Once run deep sea, mixed rock guitars with the kick, snare, kick, kick, snare. Public enemy took a political stand. Now we pirate these records like Dan the Man. And WA got attacked by the media. Now we check the facts up on Wikipedia. Can't get on the stage at the Hi, it's Eric Marshall, and this is the Wet Podcast Writing, Education, and Technology. You probably noticed that the music was different today, and that's because I have a musician on. I've got MC Lars, DIY post-punk nerdcore laptop rapper. Uh, Lars is a is a hip-hop artist. He's been doing this for, for over a decade now. He's on his fourth album, which comes out the 6th of November. And you can find links to purchase that at on the show notes at ericmarshall.net slash wet. Uh, this is a really good uh, interview for me. I really enjoyed it because um, I've been listening to Lars for for quite a long time now, and he's um, he's kind of an inspiration to me in a certain way because he's he's this guy who kind of went out and did what he wanted to do in this very like kind of punk rock way in this in sense of like he wanted to be a hip hop artist and that's what he did and you know he has a laptop and a microphone and he makes beats himself and he collaborates with a lot of people and i and i just think that's really cool um i came to learn about him through weird al yankovic um of whom i'm a huge fan um, i've seen weird al maybe a dozen times in concert i own all his albums I, I think he's great um and one day weird al tweeted about mc lars and i so i looked him up and i was like oh this is really interesting i had never heard of nerdcore before um oops i had never heard of nerdcore before and it really opened my eyes because um as listeners of this podcast know i'm a bit of a nerd myself i like technology and computers and literature and comic books and stuff like that and lars raps about all of those things which is which is really cool uh the other thing about him is he's educated he he you know does a lot with literature but he um has a clear understanding of uh of literary history of uh, critical theory to some extent to um you know, and also the his roots in rap and punk and everything, so it's it's pretty good. He's he's part of a, I know kind of a group of nerdcore artists who who do very similar things. They rap about things that, uh, you know, self proclaimed nerds care about. The interview came about because uh, I contacted him back in it must have been spring, I think. And he wanted to do the interview close to the time when the album came out, which is, you know, obviously completely understandable. He first recommended I uh, we do an IRL in real life at the uh, Warp Tour over the summer, uh, but unfortunately I couldn't I couldn't make it to that. So I, you know, we did a little email back and forth, and we decided to uh, to do it IRL at the uh, a place called Max in Lansing. So he emailed me and said. You know, here's my tour date. See if you can come out to a show, and and we'll record the we'll record the show there, record the podcast there. And I was like, okay, cool. So I looked, and I saw that he was coming to Lansing, which is about a little over an hour away from where I live. And I thought, okay, let's do it. 
Uh, I'll be honest, I was a little nervous about this because I had never done a field recording before, a field interview. I, all the interviews I do are sitting at the desk I'm sitting at right now with this microphone and my laptop in front of my monitor on Skype or Google Hangouts. Uh, the only in-person interview I did was uh, with Nick Schlegel, but we did it here in my apartment. And, you know, we're good friends. We know each other. And we just sat around the microphone and, and did that together. So... I was like, what do I do? Do I bring my laptop and my microphone? Like, how do I do this? Do I get a different recorder? So I ended up getting a, a digital recorder into which I could plug my microphone, the microphone I usually use. And, uh, and that's what I did. So I went to the show, uh, drove out there. Uh, the, the, the show was incredible. It was really great. He is really good with the crowd participation. You know, he really gets people involved. Um, he's, he's just a great entertainer. At one point, he brought this kid up on stage, and we talk about this in the interview, but he brought this little kid up on stage. He's like 10, 11 years old, and uh, he had him rap some of the songs, one of the songs with him, and they did a little dance-off. It was really cute. It was really awesome. And it's just kind of, I think it says a lot about Lars and his his uh, philosophy of, of getting the crowd involved and, and kind of... I'm almost crowdsourcing the fun, I guess you could say. <laughs> but it was a great time. And then afterwards, we went out and sat on a picnic table uh, outside the venue. It was a nice still night in Lansing and talked for a little while about his history, you know, how he got started with Nerdcore, his philosophies towards rap and Nerdcore and performance and stuff. And it was really, it's a really great interview. And I, I hope you enjoy it. You can find the show notes at ericmarshall.net slash wet. You can find me on Twitter at emarsh. And uh, I'll put some links to some of Lars's YouTube videos and to his albums that you can buy and to some other things so that you can get more information about him in case you hadn't heard of him before. And uh, I really hope you enjoy the interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. The zombie T-Rex is back, undead swag with that old school rap. Cause it's Curtis Blow with that nerdist flow, getting pterodactyl flag on the track. Four records deep, five VPs, one mixtape cause you can't kill me. Poison when I spit it, Komodo Dragon, yeah. Nerdcore Royalty, Komodo Dragon. Sesco Bedalian Loquaciousness, no rapper ever born dead to rhyme like this. MC Lars with the rhythmic alacrity, overdoor skills causing mad catastrophe. The whole crew sick, like Kubrick, got your eyes wide shut for this apocalypse. Let's face it, I'm an awesome rapper, post-punk laptop velociraptor. No, I won't dumb it down for the mainstream fan, cause the mainstream fan has lame taste, man. Yeah, I said it. And I'm flying over hurdles, keep it underground like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. See a funny thing happen on my way to the stage. Way laid by a stegosaurus, stacking on my leg. When I made my escape, it was way too late. Got the T virus strain all up in my veins. Bringing pain like the Necronomicon. Iguanagon loose up at Comic Con. Tearing up your lawn like a Mothlodon. Take away your girl like I was Donkey Kong. Jurassic Park, this van in your city every time I rock a show. Cause the fans all bounce when I light up the room with that pyro classic flow. Yo! <laughs> Okay, so I'm here with MC Lars. Uh, just after the after the show here at Max in Lansing. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. D- Wait, what do you call this? DJ Eric? <laughs> DJ Eric? No, uh, most people call me E Marsh. E Marsh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my uh, Twitter handle, and that's what a lot of people just call me E Marsh. Yeah. Hi, E Marsh. Yeah. I don't have the uh, I don't have the rapping skills that you do, so there's no DJ in front of my in front of my name. <laughs> so. So, you know, in there, you just did a really cool set. At one point, you brought this kid on stage named Trent. 
Uh, he must be like nine. I guess he said he was ten or eleven. Okay, yeah. okay. And you had him on for two full songs, and you know I think that's um, like you really are into the the, the kind of crowd um, participation, right? I mean, I think punk rock and really hip hop, when they're both at their purest and best, they both have this aesthetic um, agency of of breaking down the barrier between the crowd and the stage, right? I mean, that's like why bands like Atmosphere were so are so fantastic because it's like Slug was just a normal guy rapping about his broken heart and his <laughs> and barring his mom's van, you know, right, and right, like yeah. and then like with Minor Threat bands like that, it was just like about the energy and the noise and like and relating to being a kid and having fun on stage. So that for me, like that has the most value of the culture. The most the, the reason why I'm so drawn to the cultures, I mean, is the val- the cultural capital that comes in giving the everyman the ability to be on stage. And I think it's like when there's a kid in the audience who's like feeling the show, I'm always trying to bring him up for Mr. Raven because it's a simple song, like to get him to rap and wear the necklace. And it's just, it's always really cute. And that dude was, it was his first concert. So we got EAP in the house tonight. Edgar Allan Poe, America's favorite anti-transcendentalist. We're taking this back, way back, 19th century style. Who's that? Who's that? Rapping. Who's that rapping at my chamber door? Mr. Mr. Raven, all up in my grill like nevermore. It's always about giving back more than like, I, I don't really care about the spotlight because what I do is so nichey and underground and so like off any radar of anything mainstream that the power and the joy comes from like the legacy of the authors I talk to, uh, the authors I rap about and the culture of giving back and, and breaking down the audience, the barrier between the stage and the audience. Yeah, I love that. And you, you did a whole lecture on uh, transcendentalism and anti-transcendentalism with Poe, which was great. I, mean, I don't know if he understood it, but it was it was wonderful. I mean, you never see people do that. He was. I was like, do you know what that means? He goes, no. I'm like, do you want me to explain? He's like, yeah. It's like, okay, you're curious. That's tight. <laughs> that's what I li- that's what I love about it because you know you you you're hard to categorize. I know people use the term nerdcore, and I know that um, that I don't know if that really encapsulates everything that you do. Uh, would you would you would you say that nerdcore is accurate, or is that something that you know? Is there something beyond that that you do? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm kind of I come from a punk rock background that I used to play in hardcore bands, and then I just started rapping. And the nerdcore term got got applied to what I was doing like in 06, 07 when, and I started working with Front a lot and MC Chris a lot and then the scene kind of died out like 08, 09 but I feel like it's had a resurgence where there's been this nostalgia for like the mid 2000 indie culture. You see that with like like all the these the screamo bands headlining again and stuff like that. So like there's been like this interest, even though it's very marginal and very underground in that era in underground hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. So that term kind of like a band like Pieball being called an emo band, like I mean, it maybe not have braced it back then, but now it kind of puts it in a historical time place. And as long as I still do this, I think people will remember me as like being part of that genre. People who were aware of the, the underground nerd hip hop culture of that era, it's kind of like on Wikipedia and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I'm on that page. So, but I fought it for a while. And I, my main issue with it was that I felt like it was culturally insensitive and in that people like were giving props to front a lot and Chris and not really acknowledging hip hop as being like a, a black art form from New York with deep, rich cultural history and thinking like these were the first guys to ever rap. You know, people would always say it's all, it would always be offensive when people be like, I don't like rap, but I like you. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. You don't right. To, you don't listen to hip, like don't limit yourself to just the stuff that nerdy stuff. Cause that's, I just right. made me feel like I was stealing the culture. And then I made all these blogs about it, and then I got called out, and everyone thought I was like, 
sell out to nerd culture and it was just a whole thing so i i now these days i'm at peace with it and it's like i feel like it it's hardcore rap that's nerdy so yeah that makes sense i mean it's just a label I mean, labels are labels right They're, they'll never encapsulate everything you call yourself uh you know uh post-punk laptop rap right yeah that's the i kind of came up with that i came up with that in 2003 because there was this band from Pittsburgh called Grand Buffet. They're a rap duo, and they call themselves post-rap. And I, post-punk, I like that because it's like punk is about the fast energy. Post-punk, it seems like it's about taking that energy and that anarchic vision and giving it a different aesthetic, like sonically, right? And then and then laptop rap. So I was using my laptop to make beats. And back in 03, like weird white dudes weren't rapping to like laptop punk rock samples that was like a weird that was like what are you doing what's wrong with you what and that was like that was such a that was kind of on some edge so i was like well this is what it is Mm -hmm. but anyway nowadays everyone is rapping to laptop beats and i think that's awesome i do too because it it opens it up to everybody right and i think the whole thing about just being up there with a laptop is like that's a defining performance tool now the edm music like back back in 0403 when i'd open for bigger pop punk bands doing that people be like what is this mm-hmm. now everyone does it and i think it's awesome that the indie music musician has had his or her day you know i i agree absolutely and that's part of what the i do on this podcast i, I interview people who are kind of diy doing it themselves and i've had a, a a few musicians and people involved in music and this is kind of the same thing people say is that the technology has opened it up opened the culture up so anybody can do it you know but there's still this kind of um well, antipathy, I guess, towards the labels, or or vice versa, where the major people, I think, still have this idea the major labels are still kind of the way to go. Or like, what can you say now in 2015? What's different now? I mean, now I think passive income streams come from YouTube views and Spotify. Mm-hmm. I mean, my it's weird. My Spotify royalties are now they exceed my iTunes royalties because people have already bought my album on iTunes, but they listen to it on Spotify so every time I get like a fraction of a penny and that adds up right Mm -hmm. so it's like if you can make music that's relevant to people who are tapped into music through those platforms and you can get millions of views and listens then you'll make as much money as anyone who gets signs to a major label for a 360 deal because all they're doing is generating content and then taking your t-shirt money for shows you can really get screwed over if you sign the wrong deal but if you're doing it on an indie level and a major label comes in it helps the momentum go like macklemore he did the whole thing diy and then he hired people from warner to help to help keep the momentum going but he hired them a DIY place partnering with the mechanism of a major label and that's like the model you can't I mean I think that it's all about how do you pay for your content and how do you monetize it and if you and if if the way you monetize it exceeds like what it costs to pay for it then that allows you to keep putting stuff out and a major label can be the thing that tips it but sometimes if you don't recoup then you're dropped and so I predicted in Download the Song that record labels would disappear, and they haven't. They've just transformed into, like, online content generators. Take it 
anymore, so I'm writing a list. Don't try to resist this paradigm shift. The music revolution cannot be dismissed. 1898, Iggy Pop CD. What if I can get it from my sister for free? It's all about marketing, Clive Davis C. If fans buy the shirt, then they get the MP3. Music was a product, now it is a service. Major record labels, why are you trying to hurt us? Fix up in my face like, don't steal our songs, Lars. Well, Sony sells the burners that are burning city yards. So Warner, EMI, hear me clearly. Universal Music, take your circuitry. They sue little kids downloading hit songs. They think that makes sense when well, they know that it's wrong. Hey, Mr. Record Man, the joke's on you. Running your label like it was 1992. Hey, Mr. Record Man, your system can't compete. It's the new artist model. File transfer. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of DIY people are doing kind of an a la carte thing, you know, kind of uh, farming out like like marketing and stuff like that. So you just turned 33 last week, right? Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe I've been doing this 13 years. 13 years. And this is what you do for a living. Yeah. I pay my rent and I'm able to save a little bit of money and I'm able to like live in a place I love and travel. So it's, I'm not like, I'm definitely don't, I'm not rich, but I'm definitely like sustain, I sustain my lifestyle through this. So, and I think Kickstarter, I owe a lot to that because I've never had to borrow money except from the people who pre-order my records, you know? Yep. Yep. And you have a Kickstarter right now, which I'll link to in the show notes. Um, or is that still going, or is that over? It's done, but the album comes out in November 6th that the fans ordered. It's called the Zombie Dinosaur LP. Okay, so I'll, and I'll link to that then in the show notes for the pre-order, for sure. No doubt about it, uh, which you can find at ericmarshall.net. Um, if you could like, just kind of rough out a pie chart of how you do this. I think this is the new model is, is making a living. You know, I think the old model was let's get rich, sign a label and make millions of dollars. And I think now it's, it's, it's people can make a living doing this. What would a, like a pie chart look like of your income? Well, I think that like, yeah, I would say that for me, like 20 to 30% of it is, is money I make for ticket sales and like doing workshops at schools. Like I'll do performances and talks at schools. I would say, 50% of it is is passive income from iTunes and and Spotify and YouTube. So and then 20% of it would be just any merchandising. Okay. So which means touring is important. Yeah, I mean I guess that what is that? Then that is that 50% of it is from the road, I think. Did I count that right? Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's about right. About 50% of those things you said are from 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 touring, right? And touring then like on something like Warp Tour which I've been fortunate to do 3 times. Mm-hmm. Um that is awesome because then you get new fans and those kids are all on YouTube and all on Spotify yeah. and all yeah. on their phone. So like if a kid will post the Spotify link on their Facebook page, that's great. So yeah. it's like touring then sustains the passive income streams. Mm-hmm. You can't be an artist really and and not travel. You know, the two things like I do it all myself but I always I'll, I have a booking agent that I'll, I'll hire and mm-hmm. as publicist mm-hmm. to promote the tours everything else I can do myself but those two things if you try to do it yourself it's messy like you call ven- like try to call venues be like I'm oh, an indie gosh. rapper with with 50,000 Facebook fans be like yeah I'm not trying to book your show yeah, and, and if I do I won't yeah. pay you right. so right. it's good yeah. to have an agent you trust you know yeah. and the, it makes sense with the streaming too because for the last couple of weeks I I told you earlier that um, I've been I, I take my girlfriend's 11 year old to school and we've been streaming your music from Google Play which I know you get a fraction of a penny from each time for me preparing for the show and everything so you know there you go right nice, so yep yep so um, on the education thing so you're, you're going around doing uh, what kind of education are you doing well this tour i did um i've done three schools and i'll do my talk about about it's kind of like a version of my ted talk where it's updated with newer re- resources and um 
I'll do my Poe and Shakespeare raps. Okay. And then uh, sometimes I'll get in the classroom and work with the kids on like the f- how to write raps and then like give them workshops and then I'll have them come up and rap and it's fun, man. Yeah. It's really fun. My girlfriend is a she's a teacher in New York and like she um, does science and we're going to do after school programs with the kids there doing like science raps. So it's like what's so fun about it is that hip hop and rhyme connects with any t- subject you yeah. know i mean absolutely i do literature stuff but there's it connects with everything you know yeah, yeah it sure does and you do a lot of, and that's what i like about you i mean i, I like i like a lot of uh, quote-unquote nerdcore um artists uh but you do the literature thing in ways that i don't think anybody else does and you you talk about postmodernism and aristotle and ethics and all kinds of stuff so you've obviously you obviously have a um have an education in you know in literature yeah i think that it was funny. I always t- planned to get my PhD in English or something, and I just one day I will. But it's just this always took off and sustained itself. Mm-hmm. So it's like this has kind of been like I'm always I don't know. I love to teach, and I think that like being on stage is like being a teacher. And one day I think that's when I'm sick of being on the road. I'll 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 end up at a school somewhere teaching. <laughs> yeah, teaching. That's great stuff. Yeah. You feel me? Oh yeah, I feel like I have a PhD in English. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I do. Yeah, so I have a PhD in English. I teach film studies and media studies at U of M, University of Michigan, Dearborn. Um, cool. And here I am interviewing you on a Wednesday night <laughs> in Lansing. It's awesome. You know, it's it's cool. I mean, there are ups and downs to it. And if you think about doing it, give me a call and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit. It's been, has it been like a fulfilling thing? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's. Um, I, it, it's nice to have the three letters after your name. You know, I'm uh, I'm 43, so I'm 10 years older than you. Um, and it took me about 10 years. I'm writing a memoir right now um, about my time in graduate school, which was kind of crazy in a way, uh, self-inflicted craziness for the most part. Um, but it's it's if you if you are thinking about being a, a full time professor, it's very very difficult in in the humanities to get a job with a PhD. I've heard that, yeah. and I've heard that it's like. That's very interesting. But, like, do you do consulting work and stuff or not really? I do so. I do some tutoring, ACT, SAT tutoring for high school kids. Um, and then, like I said, I teach at the, uh, at the university level. I, think, I make most of my money from tutoring, though. I kinda, I'm like you. I piece it together. You know? Similar, Eric. That's awesome. I love it. And, and this is, uh, I mean, my whole thing, too, is, like, I like this DIY thing. Like, this whole podcast is just something I came up with one day in the shower. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get some equipment and interview some people and, you know. It's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be on it. And I think you've very thoughtful questions. Oh, thanks, man. Um, I'm going to ask you a not-so-thoughtful question now. This is kind of a, a fanboy question in a way. Yeah. So, um I, I know you use the number 27 in a lot of your songs. I'm assuming that's a shout-out to Weird Al Yankovic because uh, he uses 27 in a lot of his songs. Maybe it's not, but what was it like to work with Weird Al and to meet Weird Al? Yeah, that was def- that's definitely always a shout-out to him. I asked him about it, and he he just laughed. I was like, what's with 27? He's like, ha, ha, ha. His drummer, John Bermuda Schwartz, he told me it's because his mom was born on the 27th. Okay. Yeah. So he did it as a shout-out to his mom. I heard that he just thought it was a really funny number. <laughs> once I heard an interview with him, once where he said that. Well, my I did a comic strip in college, and I call it 27th Street. Oh. So it's always been on my oh, radar. That's awesome. Yeah, which is crazy, right? I mean, he's such a sweetheart, and he sends me a Christmas card every year, and I see him when I'm in L.A., and he's been a, like a mentor and a friend, and I, that was the craziest thing from doing this. Like, that fact that he saw, he heard my music and emailed me and was like, I think it's, what you're doing is good. Yeah. And then we became friends. It's crazy, dude. That is crazy. That's how I learned about you. Is uh, he tweeted about your song uh, that, that he has plays accordion on, and I was like, "Who's this MC Lars? What's this nerdcore thing?" And that was my introduction to this whole thing. To this whole nerdcore. Thing. They, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's cool. You found out me from his Twitter. Yeah. He, um, 
I remember we tweeted that. I was really happy. I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet. So, you know, you're, you, you told me earlier that your first show was when you were about 11. It was Weird Al. And um, I have to say, like, I don't know him personally, but he, every account I've ever heard is he's a really nice guy. You're a lot like him. You're, 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 you're a really nice guy. You, you engage people. You're, you're an entertainer. Um, I just, you know, I think that, I mean, you, 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 ha- you're, you're following the same footsteps for sure. That's really nice, man. Thanks. I mean, that wasn't a question, I guess. <laughs> no, I appreciate. It. He's definitely my biggest inspiration. I mean, what I love about hip hop, sonically, is that you can sample and reference other genres. And I never wanted to make the same boring song twice. Yeah. Rap can be so repetitive. What I love about him is his genius understanding of other genres. And what's so brilliant about him is his style parodies. Yeah. And I feel like whenever I do a rap song, I try to like just go for that greatness of like of like emulating other genres because there's a power to that and it's like that's what makes him postmodern right that he's like he's like the marcel duchamp of pop culture (laughs) he is in a lot of ways yeah that's another thing i like about you is even in your songs you you shout out to all of your influences you talk about rap but also metal and literature and like in in you know critical theory and all that stuff you know you really you really own it i'm a nerd bro (laughs) we got that in common eric yeah we sure do, Lars. We sure do. But um, I think that, like, yeah, that's like, well, I'll never run out of stuff to write about because music is always changing. And Al and I had a conversation. Like, I was like, dude, how do you keep your finger on the zeitgeist with everything so changing? And he said, I have no answer for that. He's like, you just have to do something that's meaningful to you. He's like, and then props to him, like, for nailing it on his last record, you know? Like, he, Oh, yeah. I was so, yeah. so, that made me so happy. Me too. <laughs> me too. A longtime fan, it made me happy too. But I think that you know, when you were talking about getting a PhD, I kind of, um, I kind of held my breath for a second because I think you're already doing the thing that you should be doing. You're educating, you're entertaining, and you're doing the same thing that you could do with that, I think, um, on the road. Well, thanks. I mean, thanks, man. That's, that's, I, I appreciate that. And I, I, um, I just want to be the best I can, bro. I mean, just think about Trent. Trent is going to remember this for the rest of his life. <laughs> you know. And he was like his enthusiasm and oh his passion. Gosh. Yeah, that's it. I just want to I just want to inspire people, you know? Like we're talking about the breakdown between the stage and the and the performance. It's like I just want to leave inspiration. That's all. And then if I make a few bucks and like can ha- and have a place to sleep, great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I never really understood punk rock uh for a long time and because I the music itself was never not that attracted to me. I was more of a metalhead, you know, back in the day. But it's only recently I've started to think of punk rock, and I, I get it. I think through you, maybe, because it's this idea of you want to do something, you just do it. You figure out how to do it, and you do it with what you've got, right? It's like Benjamin Franklin, right? He said, "Do with what." I don't know the quote, but I'm paraphrasing. Do what you can when you can with what you have, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, punk is always about like the message trumps the medium. So just get it out, and and that's why punk can be sloppy punk is kind of more working class where it's like metal is kind of more like bourgeois if you're looking at it from a marxist perspective right i realize that now yeah and that and that you need you need you, you need the machine to do metal you need to be very proficient technically oh, yeah. and that's kind of how, how nirvana like took change the world 30 years ago or whatever because they came from that background of, of just power and do it, say it, and, and do it your own way. I was talking to Christian from the Aquabats, and he was saying how, like, punk is about being different, right? And so 
I, I've always loved that about it. And that's why I've gravitated towards the culture. And it's just, a, there's so much kindness. Like people help you put on shows, help you do videos. It's like a real family. And I think Nerdcore definitely falls in the punk rock footsteps more than the hip hop footsteps, which is more cutthroat and big, big money and, and style and big beats and that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you completely on that. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time after the show with me. I know you got to get on the road. I know you got to get in the van and go to Chicago. Yeah, Chicago and then down to uh, Arkansas, Little Rock. That's the, wow. Yeah, it's a crazy routing. So we're, yeah, it is crazy. We're all over the country. But anyway, I really like your thoughtful questions, man. And I appreciate you having me on your show, bro. Well, thanks for coming on, man. And I'll uh, I'll put links to your tour dates. I'll put links to your stuff. It's your Spotify, <laughs> right? To get you some royalties coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Lars. Thanks, Eric. I'll spread the word about it. Named Jack Kerouac, who hit the road because he was never coming back. To write an epic book and see the country with a very close friend named Neil Cassidy. They were lovers, but we didn't know until much later. Because America then was full of homophobic haters. It was all about the journey of spontaneous prose. At the Sixth Gallery, you heard Ginsburg flow. Because Jack went hard and got turned up. Passed the port after he filled his cup. A Catholic boots with a giant heart. He wrote everything down in the service of his art. Went to Big Sur, saw a dead otter. Thought about his mom, his cat, and his father. Hurt himself to death in his Florida home. Was laid to rest in law, 47 years old. Who's that? Jack, Jack. The French Canadian Dharma bum who lived his life to the maximum. Who's that? Jack, Jack, Jack Kerouac. Writing poems down in Mexico. Left his mark just to let you know. Tupac Shakur, yes, I'm sure. Was the Kerouac a rap because they both opened doors? They defined a culture, both died really young. Both Thanks came for west listening. and had hella fun. They went out in the club you can with get their show notes at ericmarshall.net slash what. Find me at emarsh on Twitter. See you next time. The thug like purveyors who always got red. Poets who loved and supported their moms. And when they were focused, they were worse with the bomb. The line by the press for their derelict ways. The gangster aesthetic aside with parade. The poshman's gifts are too iconic class. R.I.P. Tupac and R.I.P. Jack. Who's that? Jack.